Um, I've had various jobs over my time. I've been a fruit picker. I've been a shelf stacker. I've been a shopper insight manager. Managing insight, whatever that means. Uh, I've been the director of retail research. And I've been a bollard. Yeah, my job was to stand on a grass verge and prevent people parking there all day. Uh, thankfully, it was in the summer months, uh, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too bad. Uh, so I've had various things. Um, if you've got your Bible, let's open it at Acts chapter 18. We're walking through Paul's second apostolic journey. And I'm just going to read a few verses from chapter 18. It will come up behind me as well. Acts chapter 18. After this, after what? I don't know. Anyway, never mind. After that... <laughs> We haven't read the previous chapter, we? We don't know. Paul left Athens. For those of you who are alert enough, you'll realise we haven't stopped off at Athens. So forgive me, we're doing things in slightly the wrong order uh, because of baptisms and other things. So we're going to come back to Athens and see what happened in Athens next week. Okay, so there's Paul. He left Athens and he went to Corinth. Okay, Corinth is the capital of the Roman province of Archaea, modern-day Greece. It was a city of trade, it was a port city, a lot of money, uh, a lot of mobility, people coming in and out, multiple religions, particularly worshipping um, Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. There was lots of promiscuity and prostitution in this city. Anyway, verse 2. There... Paul met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in a synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We might get the map up uh, on the next chart. So this is the second journey. We've, we've stopped off of various places, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And, and now we've come down, skipping Athens to Corinth. And that's where we are now. Now the rest of this chapter has got some glorious detail and we're not going to get into it. So I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to open it up in the life group. But Luke paints the picture in Corinth and, he, and then explains that Paul carries on his journey to Ephesus. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila there. And then he carries on to Jerusalem then goes back to Antioch. And we'll pick up the story on his third apostolic journey when he goes back to Ephesus to see how Priscilla and Aquila and others are getting on and to stay there for a while. But as I was reading this glorious chapter, it was really verse 3 that God stopped me at. And I want to pause and rest in it this morning. So there was Paul, turned up in, in, in Corinth, possibly on his own, and he needed some money. So first up, I just feel there's a bit of faith here for us. If you're unemployed, or if you're underemployed, God provided for Paul in Corinth when he needed it. Maybe friendless in this vast city, this city of vice. And what was he going to do? God miraculously provided this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were just like him in that they were Jewish in background, and also Christians, I believe, at this point. Now, they too had come on a, on a horrible journey. They'd come from 
Italy as refugees, been banished from that country, a theme we're familiar with even today. And God brought the three of them together for provision and purpose and for mission. And I just want to rest in that this morning. We're going to do some little things. I've got a few more things to share. Then I've got three volunteers. Well, I say volunteers. Three people who are going to share a little bit about work and mission. A little bit about their faith and how it is integrated into their work life. And we're going to uh, learn some things from others as we do so. You see, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were all tent makers. They had the same skill, the same occupation. They had the same kind of ability to make and repair mobile homes. And so they had a business. And it would appear that Aquila and Priscilla maybe even employed Paul as part of their business. And that seemed to be Paul's pattern. That he worked during the week and he preached the gospel in the synagogue as was his pattern as we discovered last week and you can read on and find out. And then next door to the synagogue when he kind of got kicked out but then the blokes next door invited him in and he preached there instead at the weekend. And that seemed to be his pattern and we can skip over the little reference that Luke has made about Paul working as if it was just for a moment, just that, well, just, it was a means to an end. No, 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 this was, this was part pattern. This is what Paul did. And actually, I, I believe Paul followed a similar pattern in Thessalonica. Luke didn't really spell it out when we went through the previous chapter in Acts. But when you read about Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, he references his work on a couple of occasions. He said, look, I laboured and toiled amongst you. Day and night I worked hard. And he's not talking just metaphorically about, you know, teaching and having kind of late night seminars. Uh, He was talking about his job uh, to earn some money because he goes on to explain, I did it for two reasons. I did it not to be a financial burden to you and I did it also to model something, to show you rounded holistic Christianity, uh, your uh, attitude and approach to work as well as to the things of the gospel. And I think that's where God wants us to rest this morning and, and, and not miss the insight of that. I think actually the name given often to this book of the Bible, the Acts of the Apostles, is, is, is slightly unhelpful. Yeah, of course, the apostles were fundamental in the uh, kind of continuation of God's mission on earth when Jesus had gone back to heaven, in laying foundations, in taking that pioneer edge to see the nations come to Christ. But Luke's very diligent at reminding us and bringing to our attention all the other normal people with normal jobs that actually are the backbone of the church. In fact, a better name I'd suggest to you for this book is the Acts of the Spirit-Filled Church. Brackets. Made up of normal people doing normal jobs, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be on mission. Amen? Amen. I think I'd rather rename it like that. And people like this, people like we've come across them, people like Lydia in Philippi, who was a successful businesswoman in the fashion industry. People like the, the, the prison officer in Philippi, the unnamed one, who was doing his job one night when he came to faith. People like Luke himself, who was writing this, who was a doctor. 
by trade. People now exemplified by Priscilla and Aquila. Aren't those names wonderful? They just go, don't they just go? Some names just go together, don't they? Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah, they, they sound like they were made for each other. And we, we, we later find out, as you read on in this chapter, and actually you look at some of the letters Paul wrote, including the, the letter he wrote to the church in Corinth and Ephesus, that Priscilla and Aquila went on to have a big impact in the church while they were also tent makers. They moved their business to Ephesus with Paul to help kind of facilitate another wave of church planting. They carried on working. They discipled this upcoming leader called Apollos who had got something of the gospel but he, he, he didn't know some things. And they sat down with him. They invited him into their home of an evening perhaps, of the weekend perhaps, and they explained to him the better way. I think it's the ways of the Spirit, actually. That's my hunch as you read on this chapter. The things of the Holy Spirit. Apollos, you need to know this. And then Apollos went on to be an apostle. It was Priscilla and Aquila. Discipling them. They opened their home to this new church plant in Ephesus, we find out later. And Paul wrote to churches to say, look, these, these guys, this guy and gal, they, they, they gave their life to this. They, they sacrificed themselves. They, they opened their home for the church to meet in their place. You see, work is part of God's mission. When you think about mission and work, we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking they're separate things. Or sometimes we can think maybe there's an overlap. You know, those little moments when maybe there's an opportunity to offer prayer for somebody. And they're wonderful, aren't they? Let's take them. Or those opportunities of overlap where perhaps we can share our faith even with a colleague, with a client, with a supplier. But maybe those things for you in your world, in your work, they're kind of rare. Or when they happen, they're great. But is that it? And I think what God would say is, no, 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 work is a component of mission. It's part of God's purposes for you. And he wants you to embrace it as such. He has called you to work. You know, God worked and God calls us to work. You look at Genesis, so often the the place where we find the origins of things and the foundation of theology. By the seventh day, God finished the work he was doing and he rested from his work. God works. He made humanity and he said to them, look, here's the Garden of Eden. Go and work in it. And take care of it. This is before sin. This is before the fall. This is before the curse which made work difficult. Oh yeah, I think we know something about that. But work is in the purposes of God. It's part of his mission to the world. It's part of what he wants for us and is calling us to. In fact, I'm told the Hebrew word there for work that he gave for humanity is a fat word. It means a various things. It's the root word also for worship. Possibly also the word for serving, work, worship. Inseparable in God's eyes. And he's calling us to worship. When he wrote back to this church that was later established in Corinth, I know we haven't read much about it yet, (laughs) he said this, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. When you came to Christ, the job you were doing, God had assigned to you. In his purposes, just as God has called you. He says it again. Brothers, sisters, each person is responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. 
He's talking about marriage, but he's also talking about work in that context. There's career change opportunities all the time these days, but don't switch too swiftly. Find, discover the sense of God's call in what you're doing now. And he may give you faith or discernment for something different. Uh, I'm also including in this uh, word work the thing you do, yeah, the main thing. It may be paid, it may be unpaid. It may be that you're giving time now to the home, to the family. It may be you're retired and you have freedom about what you fill your week with. Well, I think the same approach applies. What you do, looking after children, giving yourself to family, looking for work, what you do in that is part of God's purpose and is part of his worship and mission for you. Uh, I think it's significant that when God came to live as a man, he worked. He was a diligent student. We can read in Luke chapter 2. He worked hard at that. He worked perhaps for 15 years as a builder with a trade. God is referred to as an architect and a builder. Paul himself, the apostle, built portable homes. And just humour me for a minute now. I want a few people to stand up because I want to honour them. Anyone who in their day-to-day builds or maintains or supplies to homes or public buildings, I want you to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you, we're just going to applaud you. If you're a builder, if you're a carpenter, if you're a plumber, if you're an electrician, if you're an architect, if you're a surveyor, if you're an estate agent, if you're a landlord, if people's homes are enhanced by what you do or public buildings are improved through your work, I want you to stand up. We've got a few more, we've got a few more. Can we just applaud these people? We applaud you, we honour you, we honour you for what you do, we honour you, you can sit down, we honour you for every courteous client conversation you have, we honour you for every act of integrity you've conducted, we honour you for every way that you've, you've brought beauty to the home and to the places that we go to, every time you've brought some functionality to the lives of other people, we thank you and applaud you, it's honourable work. Right, I was going to talk to you some more about our mate Monk, Martin, but I might pause because I've got three people to introduce to you, we've all got a few minutes to share, and so we're going to do them in this order, we're going to ask for Naomi to pop up, and then I've got Robin to come straight after, and then Claudine straight after that, and they're just going to share something quite unique, I'm sure, to them and their faith and their day-to-day. Let's give Naomi a round of applause. Okay. Um, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had my 10th anniversary of being in full-time employment. Um, and I got a £100 gift voucher, which is very nice. So my reward is £10 a year. Which is slightly depressing. <laughs> I'm a civil engineer, in case you don't know. Um, And it was really interesting, actually, um, when Tim asked me to do this, because actually looking back um, when I first started work and how faith and work went together, I probably would have said quite badly to start with. Um, And probably um, for sort of around the first five years of being in full-time employment, I... um, well, I felt 
you know, like he said, that work work is a curse, obviously, put on us from God, um, who hasn't felt that from time to time. Um, but also this nagging sense of guilt that um, I was supposed to be God's witness in the workplace. And um, that meant being a very good person all of the time. And it meant... Um, somehow steering every work-based conversation back to the gospel somehow. Um, <laughs> and actually, um, you know, it, it's been a bit of a journey with God, God sort of turning around my understanding. I mean, obviously part of it has been turning around my understanding of actually God cares about our work and he does actually, you know, he's happy to get involved. If you've actually got an actual work problem, you can pray about your actual work problem and he will, you know, somehow work it out, give you the answer, whatever. So that, that's been part of it. Um, and part of it as well is actually kind of taking me from a place of feeling really, really guilty about not sharing um, the gospel with everyone that I met at work. Um, you know, and you'd go through, I'd go through periods of time where, you know, I couldn't be bothered, so that was fine, and then you'd feel quite guilty, and then you'd go through periods where um, I'd, uh, you know, you pray really hard for God to give you opportunities um, to talk to people about the gospel and then be like well god i didn't really see anything and then yeah and then you'd sort of feel guilty again and wonder why you were going wrong um but god has really kind of gently turned my heart around um and got me to understand actually that um sort of because actually work isn't kind of separate from mission and mission is kind of just actually the lives that we live as Christians, actually what, what is the witness is you having a relationship with God and actually the sort of the opportunities um, that come to share the gospel with people um, and they, they come out of um, you having this relationship with God, you giving God the glory and and yes um being intentional about going and, and and saying actually god i do want to share your gospel but that doesn't come from a place of guilt but actually comes from a place of of being filled with the spirit actually being really excited about the gospel um and i just i've had you know um over the years at work have sort of recently more recently i've had um some Sometimes where I've I've felt God like really um, sort of impressing on me that I should you know offer to pray with someone or you know say something and and I you know I haven't I haven't done it I'm going to be completely honest um, and you know I used to beat myself up about that but actually. Um, God is, um, he's in the business of changing us. He's in the business of making us new every day. If we go back to him and go, I'm sorry, I messed up that time. Um, he, 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 he gives you more opportunities. And, um, you know, conversely, there have been other times where I've offered to pray for people and, you know, they've said yes and I've prayed for them there and then in the office. Um, and that's been 
pretty amazing. I mean, some of the things I found is like, actually people, are even if they don't believe in God, um, and they wouldn't say they're a Christian, a lot of people are really touched that you would care enough to offer to pray for them about their problem. Um, the other thing I found is that British people are very polite and sometimes too polite to say no. Um, so <laughs> this too can be used to your advantage sometimes. Um, not that I'm saying that you should like <laughs> force it on people, but genuinely sometimes that does happen. Um, I've, you know, and I've had times where I've offered to pray for people and they've said, thank you very much and made a swift exit. Um, I've had times where, um, like I had a time recently where um, there was a guy at work and he was telling me about the fact that his, da his dad was dying really horribly of lung cancer. And, um, and you know, I've, I've had sort of brief conversations with him in the past about the gospel and sort of aspects of it and sort of what do you believe, what do I believe and that sort of thing. And, you know, I said to him, oh, I'd really like to pray for you about it. And at that moment, one of his colleagues, like, came up, interrupted and, like, um, sort of, he had to go off and do something else. And I was like, oh, I've been thwarted by the devil, you know. But no, actually, the thing is, God is in control of all of this. God has got, you know, better plans. And actually, what happened was, sort of a couple of weeks later, after his dad had died, um, we were actually travelling up to London um, on the train together to go to a client meeting. And we had a much longer time to have a really good discussion about faith and God and life and life after death that we wouldn't have had in that situation in the office. So actually, um, the other thing to, you know, it's not all about you. It's, it's not, you're not the sole agent of God. God, believe it or not, is working, working on all of this stuff. Um, the other thing, oh, there was another example I was gonna share as well, what was that? Oh yeah, this was really funny. So um, <laughs> we've got these 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 like peer groups at work where we sort of have this uh, teleconference once a month and basically have this like group therapy on a phone call where someone brings a problem and everyone else has to like ask them questions about it. And one of the guys on in this group um, basically was saying that his problem was balancing what his work life balance because his his wife has um, chronic um, arthritis. Um, she was pregnant with their second child and this was like made really difficult by the chronic arthritis. The previous child that they'd had, she'd had a really terrible um, delivery. The child had been really disruptive and just, uh, you know, and wouldn't ever go to sleep and that sort of thing. And that just all of these problems and he was just telling us these problems and, you know, with work problems, you can kind of talk it through and maybe come up with a solution. And actually, this was just like, my, you know, I got this real sense in my heart that there is basically no human solution to this problem. The only um, thing uh, that can happen is, you know, God can intervene here. Um, but I chickened out of saying anything on the teleconference. But so then I went out to lunch. Uh, but I had this real sense that I needed to call him up and pray over the phone for his wife. Um, 
And I hadn't ever done anything like this before, so I was like really nervous. But I said, I, I got back in the office and I was like, I've got to do it straight away, otherwise I'm going to chicken out again. So I did it. And, uh, you know, I said to him, I really, I really want to pray for your wife because I really believe God can heal her. I believe God can intervene in this situation. And he was like, oh, thank you so much. We're both Christians. And I was like, <laughs> and was like please pray for me. So I prayed for him over the phone. But it was just really funny how... God knew I was nervous about it and actually the guy turned out to be a Christian so the whole experience wasn't totally scary just like just God's care um in sort of um sort of guiding you through these situations and not sort of um throwing you in the deep end of evangelism really you know really suddenly he does actually slowly increase your comfort zone in a way that is actually you can you can just about cope with um and so I haven't really gone about at work telling everyone that I'm a Christian and therefore you know um and and here's the gospel but somehow just by actually starting to starting to to be in the place where I realize that everything that I do, so my attitude at work, my um, saying sorry to my boss when I shout at him, and um, <laughs> which actually is really countercultural. You'd be amazed how, how that stands out. Um, and all of these things, actually, they are, they are the thing that is the light in the dark place, and they are the thing that's kind of the saltiness. Um, and they, in of themselves, some, God like brings opportunities out of the fact that you look different, even if you don't necessarily realise that you that you look that different. I mean, I just thought I'd I'd share with you the uh, the uh, the, <laughs> the secret Santa present that I got from one of my colleagues last Christmas, um, whom I you know I later found out who it was that had given it to me. I hadn't told him I was a Christian, um, so when I said, "Well, why did you get me this?" he said. It was just really obvious. And that was massively encouraging to me because I hadn't specifically told him. It's like Where's Wally? You can borrow it afterwards if you want. It's really good. Um, um, and the kind of the final thing that I wanted to share with you um, was was like my experience of this last week because um, again I'd got into this way of thinking like God I haven't spoken to anyone about the gospel for ages I'm not being effective I'm really sorry um this is really awful um oh but nothing's really happening so I'm just kind of gonna give up and not really look for opportunities and just kind of leave it and then just out of the blue um, I was talking to one of my other colleagues who's a Christian and she's just moved to the area so she was like trying to find a church um one of my other colleagues overheard this conversation um, and she's Thai, she's a Buddhist, she didn't really know anything about God, the Bible, Christianity or anything, but just we, me and my friend Emma just had this, this chance to um, talk to her about the Bible, talk to her about God. We talked about what the difference was between Buddhism and at the end of the conversation she, she said, oh, I'd, I'd really like to go to church, you know, to see what it's all about. So that's just really encouraging and it's just, it's just an encouragement that it's not, you don't, it's not something that you should feel guilty about really. It's just, it's, it's stuff that God almost overspills from your heart when you are when you make it your first priority to be in a relationship with him to 
make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit, make sure you put on the armour of God every morning. We've been talking about that at youth, just so that you know you've got that the sword of the spirit and yeah. And you're not um you're not taken out by any of Satan's lies that, you know, you shouldn't um, put your head above the parapet as a Christian because you're a bad example. That that is a lie of Satan. That's not true. Um, you know, if you um, if you can, you know, if you say if you're honest and say you're a Christian, actually, um, God can use that. And um, so so don't fall for that lie. And that's kind of one of the things that I've learned over this this last ten years. And obviously, it's still a journey because the other thing that happened this week was. Um, I fluffed an opportunity to pray for one of the secretaries because her leg was hurting. But, you know, <laughs> next week is a new week. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Good morning, all. Um, well, different angle from, from Diana and me. I think for us and our growing family, I think... Um, the world of work has been, in fact, for lots of people in the room here as well, has been a lot about Africa, um, both being in Africa and being back here dealing with Africa. So Tim tipped me off about the passage, I had a quick look, and I thought there were probably three things that were quite interesting that occurred to me, which I'll pass on. Um, the first is that when we lived in Africa three different times, it was for the British government. So um, thank you to all the taxpayers here. We lived in a nice big house, uh, usually with a big garden. Um, they normally didn't cost that much to run, but, you know, wouldn't look good on the front of the Daily Mail. Um, so, but for us, um, two things from that. First of all, a chance to engage with the kind of local church, obviously, and at least two of the three countries we were in, there were large New Frontiers churches that we could be part of and share experience. But I think more importantly in this kind of context was actually having that resource given to us by the British government, but by the Lord, as a platform and a resource to bless other people. So either people who were in that country, um, working in that country, perhaps from abroad, or um, leaders traveling around, even some apostolic guys have to say would come and stay with us, maybe have a meal, have a, a night, a bit of time out. Um, I'm thinking of one couple Darren and I were talking about. They worked for the Salvation Army in Lagos. Now, if you know Lagos, it's the third biggest city in the world. It's an amazing place, but it's tough to live in Lagos on the mainland. And um, this couple we got to know, they would basically come to our house for a bit of R&R. And it got to the point where we would essentially give them a tray with a pot of tea and a couple of biscuits and just leave them to themselves and they come back a bit later and say thanks you know that's been really nice we're off now so I think providing a platform and a resource for people um, was actually important to us I think and providing a Christian witness actually in a lower key way where's Naomi probably a lower key way in some ways just being there having life groups in our homes abroad having we had a carol service I think in Lagos didn't we um, so that felt the right thing to do, to be on the front line. Um, secondly, I think being an employer, in this case abroad, but lots of us are employers here, um, very important to try and reflect you know, our values in that way. I think in an African context, we had staff in the house. We had some lovely Christian staff. We had some who were a bit more challenged on some of their, their values and activities. But I have to say, Diana especially is very good at dealing with them from a Christian, you know, applying a plumb line truth but mercy as well sometimes about how you deal with people and in my case you know we had um, large hundreds of people employed in our offices in Nigeria we had a quite a large redundancy program which was quite tough but I know from the feedback 
Um, you get a lot of very direct feedback in Nigeria. Um, if you're doing a bad job, people tell you. But if you're doing a good job, people tell you as well. And I know from feedback from the staff that people felt they've been treated fairly, in some cases opening up new opportunities. So I think and when people know you're a Christian, you know, they look, they're watching your behaviour as well. They want to know, actually, what does it mean in practice when you, you're, you're dealing with real people with real lives and jobs. Uh, I said three things. No, the third thing, yeah, is so what do you actually do when you're in the office? Well, um, hopefully, if you're in a government-type job, I know some of you are interested in that, some of you younger guys, you can hopefully have a positive impact on the countries you're in, uh, on a good day at least. You can help with you know, conflicts, elections, things like that. Um, and in our case now, um, we have transitioned out into the private sector, so I'm involved with hopefully economic growth in Africa, again, providing jobs and economic growth from a bit more of a distance now, but still hopefully um, bringing something of those values in the kind of investments we make and the kind of company we keep and bringing, um, you know, what a lot of people in Africa needs, which is really employment and economic sustainable growth. So, okay, I'm done. So um, I'm going to talk to you from the point of view of someone who works in the home rather than um, at an outside job as an employed person. Um, but actually, I just want to tell you quickly about what I used to do um, so that we can kind of compare. Um, because by profession, I'm actually a solicitor and I used to do mental health law. So I would represent people who were sectioned, detained in hospital, locked up away from their families because of their poor mental health. Some of them had committed violent crimes, some of them hadn't. Um, but it was really exciting because I got to go into places that other people couldn't go. And yes, I talked to them about the law, but mostly I talked to them about Jesus. And <laughs> I gave them Bibles. They were people in distress. They were people who needed Jesus. And I felt like, at the time, I felt like I was on the front line. I um, prayed for the armour of God before every appointment, you know, and um, I went in with a Bible that I knew that I could give to them if, if that's what they wanted and that they were people um, desperate and, and God wanted to save them. Um, and I really felt like I was on mission at that time. And when we were moving to Oxted, um, so after I'd given up my job and um, had Faye, we were moving to Oxted and um, I think I was still a little bit in that headspace, quite sort of gung-ho about mission. Um, and obviously, I'm a bit of a talker anyway. It's kind of one of my natural gifts, evangelism. I'll just talk to anyone about Jesus. Um, and we had all these uh, pictures that people had for us about moving to Oxted, um, about our home being like a beacon of light, um, and the, the vicar, uh, vicar's wife in the church we were at had this picture of houses like fairy lights kind of lighting up one by one and that our home would be like the start of a chain of these houses lighting up like fairy lights. And, um, and so when we came here, I kind of had this idea that, um, that that's what my mission was, to um, 
talk to other mums, probably. I thought, you know, that's the obvious thing. I'm going to be at the school gates. I'm going to be at the toddler groups. Um, and that's my mission. That's what I'm going to do. And to some extent, I have. You know, I talked to my friends. And like Naomi was saying about just the fact that you're a Christian, you know, it shines out. You can't really hide it anyway, even if you don't tell them directly. Um, it's just obvious. Um, and it does open up opportunities for conversation um, and to tell my friends about Jesus. I haven't given away any Bibles here yet, I don't think. Um, but I've always had that as my focus, I think. Um, and yeah, there, there have been opportunities to tell my friends about Jesus. Um, and you know, we also, we use what we have, Paul and I, as a family, we use our home for life group. And um, we're like, yes, God, you know, this is where I am at home at the moment. I'm during the day. So I've been able to um, go through the foundations booklet with um, new Christians after doing the Alpha course um, to tell them more about our faith and about why church is important and that kind of thing. Um, and yes, we've used what we've had. But I think in the last kind of six months to a year, God has really been um, maybe giving me some kind of gentle reminders or <laughs> little nudge um, about actually, like, what is my mission now? Are, are those things my, my focus? Is that my mission? Well, actually, no. God has other ideas. <laughs> um, because, I don't know if you'll have noticed, but I have three little souls in my care. <laughs> All day, every day. No, that's not true. Two of them go to school now. Um, but, but things have happened over, yeah, the last six months where I felt like God's been saying to me, actually, actually, this is your focus. This is your mission. So um, we went to Ashburnham. So I'll give you an example of some of the, the ways that God's been reminding me. We went to Ashburnham and um, we knew that it was going to be about making a difference. And we knew that we were going to hear from loads of church plants in crazy places across the globe. And Paul and I have always thought um, that maybe God might send us somewhere crazy. And when he told us Oxted, we were like, oh, that's nice. We were expecting you to send us to Africa. Great. Uh, <laughs> we like Oxted. Um, so, so we went to Ashburnham with a kind of sense of trepidation and we were like, oh no, what if now's the time? God, please, somewhere nice, somewhere nice. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, we were hearing about all these places and I was kind of open but a little anxious. But I didn't feel like God was saying, yes, this is the place. You know, when people were talking about Berlin or, you know, the, the different church plants, I didn't feel like God was like, yes, go there. So I was like, okay, great, great, this is going well. <laughs> but on the last day, it's always the last day. Why do we leave it to the last day? I was like, come on, God, like you've got to talk to me now. Is this, are we in the right place? Am I doing, in particular, am I doing like what I'm supposed to be doing? And I was asking him about um, the fact that I'm preaching occasionally as well. Like, is that the right thing for me? Or is that just a thing that I was doing and now that's finished? Or, you know, tell me, God, what, like, what do you want me to do? And this lady prayed for me and she had a picture of me teaching. And she didn't know that I'd been preaching occasionally. So she had a picture of me teaching children. And she said, and it's a picture of you teaching your children but then there's other people there as well. It's wider than that. And so I laughed and I was like, oh, yeah, um, that's like confirmation that actually, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to preach occasionally. That's great. That's what I've been asking God about. But then when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, but that was my children as well. Like, duh. Teaching my children. Um, and I felt like God was really speaking to me about that. 
about this is my focus. My children are there at my feet and this is my mission at the moment. And then we had the 24-7 prayer room that Ashley very kindly set up, which was great. Um, and I went there and... Um, Oscar from Guadalajara in Mexico had been talking to us about Isaiah 58 and what is true fasting. And he was talking to us about their mission um, to the people in Guadalajara and and the amazing things that they're doing there. And so in the 24-7 prayer room, there were all these kind of stations of things to pray for. And one of the walls had the passage from Isaiah 58 on it. um, And it was, so I was praying for Mexico or something. I can't remember exactly what I was praying about. But I was reading Isaiah 58 and I came across this bit where it's, and it kind of made me stop, uh, where it says, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And this made me actually burst out laughing, like out loud, (laughs) because... Only that morning, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, had been running around naked and refusing to get dressed. <laughs> and I was like, this is my mission, to clothe the naked <laughs> and not to turn away from my own flesh and blood. <laughs> so I was like, all right, maybe I'm getting it now. <laughs> These little reminders. And then when Tim asked me to do this, at first, and Carrie was there as well, and at first I was like, Tim, I'm the wrong person. I don't have a job. (laughs) I stay at home. Um, And I used to be an amazing evangelist in my job when I was a solicitor, but now it's completely different. And, you know, you should ask Dan, who tells everyone about Jesus. (laughs) And and Carrie said, but Clody, (laughs) your mission is your little ones. Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, this is what God's been teaching me. (laughs) So maybe I'm finally getting it. Um, And actually, like, kids' work terrifies me. It is not my gift. Like, give me teenagers any day. Kids' work is not my gift. Um, And if you want to ask me to do the crash, I will cry. So please don't. (laughs) But I feel like God's been reminding me that actually with the kids, it's about the fruits of the spirit. It's about patience and kindness. And they're the fruits of the spirit because you get them by being filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So over the last six months, that's what I've been praying about. That's what I've been learning about. (laughs) But you know that bit in Bruce Almighty where (laughs) Morgan Freeman says, if a man prays for patience, God will give him opportunities to be patient. So I'm like, no, God, I'm not going to ask for patience. No, no, no. So he's like, no, just ask for my spirit, ask for the Holy Spirit. So that's what I've been doing. And actually, even just this morning, I, like, God's been showing me that it, it does work. Like, my kids, your family will see the Holy Spirit in you. And, and also, God will speak to my children, like, whether I'm there or not. <laughs> but he uses me in that, and that's such um, a privilege. But my, ki- my kids are amazing. So Faye, like, writes little worship songs. She's got a ukulele. <laughs> she can't play it. But, like, I find little pieces of paper around the house with, like, 
one, two, three, four, God is good, la, la, la. And then it will say, like, I can be brave, I don't have to be afraid because God is there, la, la, la. Like bits of paper with worship songs written on them by a six-year-old. And then a couple of weeks ago in church, Paul brought me Dilly's drawing that she'd been doing during the worship. And it was, I can't remember what it was of, but it was like this prophetic drawing and it had like God is good written on it. And so, you know, the things that we do just in our daily day-to-day life, you know, yes, I'm at home and I'm with the kids, but, you know, we go to church and the things that I don't think are significant that I do actually do show them the love of God and show that I'm a Christian and we do things differently to other families even if I don't know that because I don't know how other families do things I just do things my way and Paul's way our way (laughs) But, but that speaks to our children and they are my focus in this season and that's my mission and yes it's different to how my mission used to be um, but it's really important um, and when I feel like I don't have the tools I need, God will give them to me.